You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing dental material selection from an expert lab technician's perspective with considerations for the future of fixed and removable restorations. Our guest, Johnny Orphanitis, is the director of CAD CAM and Design for Dynamic Dental Solutions in Jacksonville, Florida, and a third generation dental technician. The industry knows him as Johnny O. Johnny has been around dental labs and clinical environments all his life, always at the forefront of advanced digital dental technology and partnering with the biggest industry names in materials, equipment, and technology developments. Johnny, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Thank you very much, Dr. Klein. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I just want to make a quick little uh, um, change. I do not work for Dynamic Dental Solutions. That's a little error. Uh, I opened up a dental lab in Tampa, Florida called Amerident, and this is where we do a lot of our research and development and manufacturing for dentists all over the country. Amerident. Okay. Uh, yes. I, thank you for that correction. So what are your thoughts on the future of indirect materials? <clears throat> Obviously, there's a lot to choose from. We have alloys uh, and metals. I just recently got an all-gold crown, a number 30, which which I love. Um I have a lot of gold crowns, actually, and for some reason, I've been sticking with gold, although the rest of the world may not be doing as much gold. Also, high-performing chemistry, uh, th those kinds of materials. Where are we with that right now, and how, how does that um, affect clinical outcome for our, for our dentists? Well, that's a, an excellent question, and, and what I wanted to talk a little bit about is like these high-performing materials, the chemistry that we have. Uh, my first composite filling was done probably in 1986. It was a bulk fill, indirect uh, uh, filling. And, you know, I'm, I'm 51 now and it's still here. So we see the changes that are happening and what are the huge benefits that we see? Um, these materials are repairable. They're polishable. They can be replaced at any time. They're bondable, which makes it very interesting to strengthen the tooth. Um, if anything goes wrong, it can be easily removed without any real trauma to the to the underlying dentition. So I see there's a lot of huge benefits in this polymer technology, and we see it in our world every day. We see these new products that are coming out. Um, as I said in the webinar, we also talked about uh, the the wings on Airbuses and Boeing airplanes that basically are made out of these new polymer materials that just don't corrode. They have better flexibility. They have a longer lifespan. And I see that that's where we're headed. So a doctor is using a scanner and he sends it off to the lab, or maybe he has the whole thing in-house and he could mill these things chair side. You're saying that these polymer materials, whether they come in the form of a block or some come in the form of a puck, they are offering great advantages to the dentist. And again, these advantages have to be defined in the terms of predictable outcome and long-term success, right? I mean, of course, that's the of bottom course. line. So how, how do these polymers, and then we'll get into more specifically how it affects crown and bridge, fixed hybrid or true removables. We'll get into that in the next question, but how are these polymers more advantageous than what we're currently using? So basically, you know, when you make a crown now, you are stuck with uh, obviously, you had a gold crown, so that can be burnished in when we talk about margins. 
our margin technology technology has changed because materials have changed. But what we're seeing in the laboratory is that that really isn't changing much. So we're still getting chamfer with a bevel that was originally intended for gold crowns. So we need chamfers now with some of these newer materials like the polycrystals that we're using for zirconia. That is an advanced material. Um, but when we go into the polymers, what we see is no one wants an open margin. You know that, I know that. But what the beauty of the polymer is that if we do have an open margin, it's still predictable and we can seal it perfectly. There's no, let me just fill it in and hope for the best. It actually bonds chemically to the material, it bonds chemically to the enamel and dentin to a certain degree. Obviously it bonds better to enamel than dentin. But the, the idea is that you're actually giving your patient uh, excellent oral care because of that ability. So, you know, now I, I can talk Frank and say, hey, you know, now there's no more fudging because we can actually use these polymers to have a better end result. Right. And talk about that with crown and bridge uh, versus fixed hybrids uh, and even what we call true removables. Right. So, so these new materials now, uh, as far as the removable materials go, now that we're milling these materials and we're printing them, we have a little better control. And I'll just touch on the removables at this point. Um, we have so much more control in how the material gets finalized because back in the day, we would have to mix the acrylic. There was a lot more of loose monomer in there. It was more dangerous. Now the materials are getting better. They have better flexibility. They're stronger. Uh, so, you know, we're having these high impact materials already in printing. And, and for dental, printing has been around for a short time compared to processing dentures, uh, even back to the day of vulcanite. So, so it's just a short period of time that we've done such great advancements in these materials. Same thing with the teeth. Now, with, with, with 3D printing, you know, that's not something that's prevalent around the industry for restorative work as far as crowns and bridges. That's, that's kind of not the norm right now is 3D printing. But you're saying with polymer technology, that makes 3D printing much more feasible? Absolutely. And, so econ some, and economical, right? And economical, because with, with printing, you have an additive method, which is basically you're, you're paying for what you use. With milling, it's subtractive, but we see that some of the materials, some of the companies out there that are using high glass fillers in their liquids now have, have uh, received acceptance from the FDA to be long-term um, finalized crowns that are printed. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing that's holding us back now is a little bit of color. Obviously, teeth are organic and they're beautiful in their own way. So we're trying to mimic uh, those colors and chromas that are in teeth. Uh, but we do have some limitations right now with, with certain printing platforms. But we know that this is a short period of time where materials and methods are going to get better. So we'll be able to print multi-colors in a very short period of time. Do you see that this is going to be a hybrid approach where some doctors will be milling and then eventually 3D printing will become more prevalent? Is this something that's going to be transitioning towards 3D printing away from milling, or do you think they'll both coexist for I, quite a while? I think in some of the materials, they will coexist 
Uh, it's going to be difficult. Obviously, we have uh, laser selective laser melting, so we can uh, print metal at this point. But at the end of the day, the the milling machine gives us something. It's it's like a good old dog. It'll give you, it'll come to you every time. It works great. Printing's sometimes a little finicky, but at the end of the day, we know that these materials that we're heading to in this liquid form is going to be really. Um, even for the APA, uh, EPA, when you think about it, it's it's you're you're using what you're you're putting in the in the vat. Right. So that liquid, you use it, and then you use it the next day, and the next day until it's it's finished. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're milling, there's a lot of waste. Actually, you know, when we're milling, uh, let's say for example, a zirconia crown uh, or or multiple crowns in that that puck that we talked about earlier. There's about uh, 80% throwaway, like all the material that gets thrown away. With printing, it's it's almost opposite that. You're you're at 95% when you're printing a product, so it's it's even better for the environment. Yeah, and talking to the audience now, it was very interesting to see the puck that uh, Johnny held up because I could actually see Johnny on video, even though I know this is a podcast and it's strictly audio. I did see an example of a puck in his lab. And he showed a, 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 I think it was a what three unit bridge, and you can yes. see, you can see how much of the puck is literally going to be discarded. It's a shame it can't be recycled for something else, but uh, it doesn't use more than what twenty percent of the puck to create the bridge, or even less. Wait, much, much less, less, maybe much maybe less, five percent. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so, so that's the beauty of of printing, and and like I said, you know, right now printers are able to print. Uh, denture-based materials and tooth materials. Uh, they're able to print bite splints and orthotics, um, you know, various different models. Uh, so we have that luxury of being able to have all these different uh, tools that we can print. And what's great is it's repeatable. So think about it. If, if uh, you had a patient that went halfway around the world and printers are now more prevalent, um, we could send that file to doctor uh, in Italy and say, here's here's the file. Please print it at your location. Charge yeah, your patient, that's, whatever that's you're going to charge him. Unbel- that's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. It's, it's, really, it's really great. Dentistry has been great. I've been doing this for so such a long time. So what happens to the lab guys? What happens to people like you that were so skillful in detecting the dye, you know, where, where, where the margins were? I mean, you're always, sometimes I'd have to call up the dentist and say, I think I'm looking at the margins here. Can you just verify this, please? And, I, and you did it over the phone. I mean, that's that's yeah. how it used to be. You're probably a little young for that, but I remember it very clearly. So no, 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 I, I, I did that. So so actually what's happening now is, and this is a, an analogy that I use often. Um, so when we're talking about digital technology and we're talking about intraoral scanning, what we see is that for some reason, dentists in general still believe that if they take two scans or two impressions, it makes them look bad. And we got to get rid of that mentality. And the reason that I'm saying it in a, in a very kind of strong way is when you have your iPhone and you take a photograph and it's just a little bit off, you check everybody's face and you look at everything and you go, no, no, we can take another picture. So you might take five or six extra pictures. It takes a minute, mm-hmm. but you get the perfect one. With 3D technology, what I think generally dentists are forgetting and, and I know this technology is coming fast. The laboratories always had a little bit of the, the benefit of having newer technology first. But what basically happens is 
dentists are taking a scan and they're not even actually looking at the 3D data they have live. So it's not like waiting seven minutes for an Impergum impression and going, oh, I think I have to take another impression. Uh, right now they can go ahead and scan. It doesn't hurt the patient. Uh, the patient experience is awesome. Um, I haven't heard anyone say, oh, I really hate taking a digital impression. They, they love it. So, you know, you take this scan and we have a lot of doctors that don't even look at their data. So, and then we get it and we have to get online. We'll send them an email with a, with a 3D viewer and point some little arrows to, hey, we're a little deficient here. Can you please yeah, take a look it at sounds this like the same. Us? It sounds like the same challenges you had when dentists were using materials and, and impression trays uh, when you poured up the models. But I mean, that's something easy to fix. You, as you say, taking a scan on a patient is painless, it's fast. So that behavioral thing could be changed toward the positive, no question about that. But before we get into the next question, just last on 3D printing, do you see 3D printing being the future of dentistry with indirect restorations where a patient sits down in the chair, they, they get a digital scan, and then this 3D printer using this layered liquid polymer technique actually produces the restoration whether it's a bridge or whatever it is. Do you see that as being mainstream? And, and if so, how long is that going to take? Yeah, I believe it is going to be mainstream. I think in the next five years, we're going to have some very big leaps and bounds for multi-coloring. Um, so the print will will layer that, in, you know, dentin layer and enamel layer and, and have that variation in color. Uh, I, I believe that's going to happen. I, I also believe that, um, you know, because we're talking about stay in your lane, doctors uh, went to school for dentistry. And what I believe their, their challenge is, they get mixed up in a little bit of the minutia of what's going on in the, in the laboratory industry. And there's nothing wrong with it. You can do it. I, I'm fully into that. I'm not worried about dentists doing digital. It just makes everyone better for the betterment of dentistry and the patient. So I'm all for that. Yeah. Um, but what I see is that sometimes we're, we're mingling in things and it just takes so much time. And then, you know, you're kind of not good at two things. So, you know, you focus in on your art that what that's what makes you an expert. You've been doing it over and over again, and it makes you an expert and you bring other experts in your fold to have an excellent product in the, uh, in the output. So collaborating with the labs, on the digital scan, but having the labs uh, going forward a few years do the 3D printing. Yeah, or or the laboratories will be doing the design because their understanding of morphology is is pretty vast. Um, they understand materials a little bit differently, and so you know we're here to help and educate our customers who are dentists. We want to make sure that they're using the best quality product that they can use for that particular scenario and so it all depends on you know where you're at not everyone has a class one bite not everyone has a class two bite so we need to just make sure that we're helping as much as we can by understanding and binding in with with chemical companies um to give us information so we can output it to, to our dentist to, to pick the right restorative material yeah and getting to materials i know we talked offline about this you mentioned grandio block Grandio also has a puck version of it, and you seem to have had a lot of success with this material. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, it's an excellent material. It uh, looks really good. It metamorizes very nice. It blends in with the adjacent teeth. 
it can be repaired. We can layer it with anybody's composite. We can layer it with any kind of color. Um, it, it really just is an all round excellent material and we understand. So, you know, getting back to good old gold, we understand what, what, what does gold do for dentistry? It gives you uh, a soft, uh, opposing it. It's warm, you know, for guys like us that have been in the industry for a while, it looks warm. It doesn't look weird. Let's say, um, I, I don't know what other word I could use for that. But we all like that. And, uh, and so now we're getting into these composite materials where they're wearing away almost exactly like enamel. And when they do wear away, guess what? We can just cut it off, rebond, um, protect the tooth, and be as conservative as we can be in, uh, in uh, saving that as much as possible. Yeah, so what's, what's the chemistry on Grandio Block? I believe that's a vocal product. Um, it, it is a vocal product. It's over 80% glass. It is a composite material and it really is beautiful. It polishes nice. So you don't, if you'd like to polish it, you can, if you want to, if you want to start off with a base color, you can put that crown in and do a little bit of composite uh, over it. So you can get that nice enamel look. But, you know, if we go into the history of these materials and we look at Europe for just one, one minute, you can see that in Europe, doctors will do a composite uh, class five restoration or class four. They'll, they'll do it and waste an hour. And it, for you and me, we might say it's a waste. I'll just do a crown. But to, to be real honest it, it, in this situation, I think the way a lot of drugs are being overprescribed, I also really believe that crowns are overprescribed. Over and, and I think we can do better. We can all do better trying to be a little more conservative with with these new polymers yes. and i think you know time is time is really the killer and uh and dentists uh generally you know they're not doing anything wrong but like i said it's just i think it's just over prescribed that that's my opinion yeah um, i'm all for conservative dentistry i think that's a major major uh important trend that we should be focusing on and i think we are moving in that direction minimally invasive dentistry. There's a lot of materials now that we can try to arrest caries before it gets too bad and maintain dentin um, to protect the pulp, to avoid endodontic treatment. So we, we you know, I think we're paying attention to that. Um, but I know these materials, like you mentioned, do help preserving tooth structure whenever possible. So to wrap up this podcast, tell us how you would advise a dentist to choose a skillful, competent, digital manufacturer lab partner? That's a tough one. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, digital labs out there. Everyone has a digital workflow. Uh, we like to talk about it a lot, but at the end of the day, um, you know, some questions to ask your laboratory are, you know, what kind of restorations do you normally do? Uh, ask them some dental questions because a lot of them have, um, you know, hardworking people, you know, laboratories are, are they have a lot of hardworking people, but as you definitely know, there's not a lot of schools out there teaching dental laboratory technicians anymore. So they're learning a lot from the the work environment. And to be honest with you, there's there's more fewer and fewer people who really understand dental technology, morphology, um, you know, even Kennedy classifications. They they they're losing a little bit of that. And so what we're trying to do is. Um, 
you know, for example, in my laboratory, we have a, a uh, Thursday's meeting that we do a half hour on just let's learn something, anything. We can learn about color. We can learn about bite registration. We can learn about smiles. We can learn about uh, material science. And it's really good to focus in on the lab and, and help our colleagues get better. Because as they get better and we become a stronger group, um, that's how we, we are able to uh, get higher caliber dentists. I, I, and that how sounds does, weird. Yeah, how that's, does a dentist know that that lab is doing all the things you're doing? And what's the name, well, of, your, I mean, what's the name of your lab? So the name of my lab is Amerident. We we design and manufacture everything here in the United States. We uh, we teach. Uh, we use ExoCAD, some of the materials. Uh, we have milling machines and printers. But I think a great question would say it, would ask is, do you do you know extracurricular learning? Um, you know, do you have other friends in the industry? For example, we have uh, good lab friends down the street that we, you know, once in a while come over, have a beer, talk about our difficulties and be, hey, you know, I have, I have something group, I, like I can help group. you with. Yeah, like it's like a study group, but plus, you know, you're an we like to drink a little more. Yeah, right, have a little more beer, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Big in Austin, beer is big here. Um, yeah. So you also teach quite a bit. And I also taught back in the day and along with practicing endodontics. But when I taught, I, I realized that I learn a lot when I teach. It, it just helps you clarify in your mind logical things that you need to do to succeed in your field and you also get feedback from the students and they ask questions that you know that that's a really good question and then you find a way to articulate the answer to that and that also clarifies in your mind how to run your business better and how to get better results so teaching is really important and you've done a great webinar again i do encourage our listeners to tap into that on vivalearning.com those are the kind of things dentists need to understand when working with a lab they can't just rely on getting a postcard in the mail saying, hey, try our lab out. Maybe that it'll work, but maybe it won't be that good. So uh, are there lots of labs like you that have this kind of diligence with uh, collaborating with other lab people and dentists and education like yours? Yeah, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of guys out there, um, you know, and loc locations that, that do this. I think it's really important to understand that uh, we, we are trying to do the best for the doctor. Every There's not a lab out there that says, hey, we're in business to destroy someone else's business. Um, they really try hard. And what happens is they get a little bit sidetracked because there's a, a fear factor. I don't want to lose the doctor. I have to be uh, gentle with them. Uh, to a certain degree, yes, of course, that's the just the way of doing business. But honesty is the best method. And sometimes you might lose a doctor because you know, you're being a little too honest with them. But I hope that those doctors that that walk away from laboratories understand and really see in front of them, maybe there was a mistake. And that that laboratory was actually really trying to help me. They're not just a yes man. I mean, you know, we, we can be yes men and do what we need to do. But really, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is build a business for our families. We know that that dentists have their own families. Um, and you can see that, you know, all this conglomeration of big laboratories are buying up little laboratories and big dental groups are buying up a lot of dentists. But there are still some, you know, mo especially in the dental lab industry, um, most of the labs out there in general are small groups, family run businesses that are really trying hard. And, and there's a lot of information coming at them 
And sometimes they have difficulty knowing where to turn also. So what I like to teach and, and tell people is start contacting some of the chemical companies like Voco, DMG, some, whatever companies are out there, they want to help you. Um, maybe it's to their advantage that they want to sell their product, but they have excellent information. They spend millions of dollars on chemistry. They want to teach you how to talk to your doctor and tell them, hey, when the bonding agent says scrub, scrub, don't blot. They, right, they've right. spent millions of dollars figuring yeah, no, that I'll, out. I'll attest to that. I know, I know, <laughs> you know? Voco personally. I know, I know the president of Voco, Life Ebert, is a friend of mine. And Nicole Russell's in charge of the key opinion leader program. She's doing an amazing job. Great company. Very, very focused on technology development and R&D. And they stand behind their products. And they have a great evaluation program where they actually send their products out and they to key opinion leaders to use prior to bringing it to market. And it's it's very stringent. You know, yes. they, could, they and they make changes. They could be much more profitable if they just put the stuff out there, at least in the short term. But they're they look for the future and they develop great relationships with their customers. And uh, we're really happy actually to have partnership with Voco, not only on podcasts but on webinars and so forth. So what you're saying is absolutely true. It's important to talk to your materials manufacturer like Voco and find out what's the right material for you and how does it work with the labs. Do your homework on the laboratory. Make sure they have the mindset of someone like Johnny O, who we're talking to here. Uh, fantastic podcast. Very enlightening. I, I love your enthusiasm. Seriously. I mean, it's you love what you do, and uh, that's a big part of being happy in life. And you're yeah. it, not only are you happy, but you're helping so many people actually achieve better dentistry. So um, it's it's an honor to be on the program with you today. We really want to thank you. Uh, the honor is all mine. And, and in the end, you know, we, we are... Uh, I'd like to finish like this. We're both trying to do what's right for a patient that will literally change their life. Um, we're not talking about a molar in the back. Um, you know, the, that'll get them out of pain. But we're some of the things we do are life changers. Um, and it's, it's really awesome to be able to experience that at least once in your life. Um, I've had the luxury of experience, experiencing it many, many times throughout the year. So it's awesome for me, but I really, you know, I know in the end we're, we're both working very hard to, um, give the patient something that maybe they never had before. And I think that's really, um, just fulfilling for me. It is. Yeah. Beautifully said. Amen to that. And again, Johnny O, thank you so much for being on the show and hope to have you on another podcast soon. You'd be well. Thank you very much, Dr. Klein.